believe this. I'm missing the Smashing Pumpkins. Bummer T. Jones the third. It's not fair. I was set up by a novelty item. Lousy, cheap, magic, oracle, piece of enchanted garbage. Vacuum cleaner. The flying vacuum cleaner. Is that a plan I smell? Maybe. I mean, what's worse, sneaking out of the house or letting row double J seat 126 go to waste? I think we both know the answer to that. I'll be downstairs creating a distraction. Set it on whisper. Okay. Got my ticket. I'll take my chances. No risk, no rock. Gentlemen, Stone, Burton, welcome to episode number 22 of Sabrina's Witch Trials. This is the show where each episode we venture back into the mid-1990s to rewatch, review, and reminisce all about everyone's favorite Friday Night Spellfest, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I'm Alex Aduju, and uh, folks, in case you're wondering, Abacus is spelt A-B-A-C-U-S, unless I've misspelt it, in which case I'm not surprised. Um, it's going to be a real fun episode of The Witch Trials here, because we're talking about episode number 22, The Great Mistake, and <laughs> I, I almost came up with a really insulting intro for my guest, but I won't use it. Um, I, I've brought back one of the all-timers on Sabrina's Witch Trials, uh, an old pro at, at this by now, Phil Aduju is back. Phil, how you doing? Hello, Al. How are you? I'm doing very well. Would you like to hear my really insulting uh, intro? For might, you? might as well. Go ahead. Go for it. Don't want to tease the listeners and not give it to them. Um, I, I've brought along the great mistake of my parents. Oh. See? Well, See? Consi- well, hold on a second. Well, considering you were the last one of the oh, three of us. I, I was definitely the most <laughs> mistake out of all of us. Okay, uh, our, our parents had one boy and one girl already. I think they were quite happy in their small apartment. I don't think they needed a third kid in the early 90s. It sounds like you were the oopsie, but it's all I, good. I, 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 pr- I appreciate the intro, though, I think. It was very insulting, but uh, glad to have you back, Phil. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. I'm going to stop the recording now because I've made the best possible joke anyone could make. So, yes. Uh, insert, no- insert said song here. You're welcome, listener. It, it is one of the few Taylor Swift songs that I adore, even though I think she's a generally good singer. How you been, Phil? I'm good, Al. How are you? Everything going well with you? I'm getting over being sick last week, which sucks. And you know how after you start feeling better, there's that day where you're like, finally, it's gone. And then the next day you're like, oh, well, this wasn't here before. You know, yes. You, yeah, you, I know what you're talking about. Throat's still scratchy. And then you're doing that for a week. I, I, I'm... I'm unwrapping a, a cough lozenge right mm. now, and it's one 
it's a Target brand cough lozenge, and it's mo- it's pretty warm in New York, so it's like Ugh. half melted. Like melty? Yep. Ugh, that's gross. Now, the cough lozenge, so you said, it is it a menthol cough lozenge? No, I'm a cherry man. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I, I've always loved the cherries. So is it like not and to use name not, not to use name brands here? Is it like a, one of those like Vix ones where it kind of like a little bit? Yeah, okay. it's definitely a rip off of that. Okay, I got you. So it's not. See, my uh, cough lozenge of choice is the Lucens one because it's pretty much just candy. It's mm-hmm. when you were a kid. It's pretty much just like eating candy because there's like no med- medicine taste. It's just like sweet, and you're like, hmm, this is good. I could eat like a whole bag of them. And then you once ate a uh, a packet of children's Tylenol. Look, look. Okay, first of all, <laughs> here's the problem with children's Tylenol. They shouldn't make it so good that kids will t- eat kids it. Kids like, want to eat it. Exactly. But so, then if you make it if you make it like pork flavored, kids don't want it at all. Or do I, they? I tell you what, at my age now, if it was pork flavored, I'd probably eat the whole thing again. <laughs> Your wife, the nurse, comes home and is like, Phil, why why is there a package of pork Tylenol on the floor, and why are you also on the floor next to it? It's OD'd on pork on pork flavored Tylenol. Disgusting. Um, but yeah, um, the the upside of these cough drops is that I bought a bag of like two hundred for two and a half bucks. Oh well, I don't know. If that's necessarily an upside, but you I, have, I haven't you died have yet. You have plenty of them. Uh, so yeah, episode number twenty two. The big, sorry, the big, the great mistake. The big uh, mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> according to, uh, according to the conversation we had before, the big mistake was watching it. But uh, heyo, uh, Phil. As you know, each episode of the Witch Trials kicks off with my guest, this time you, uh, uh, giving me a description of the episode in a set number of words. And this time, let's go with eight words. Damn it, Al! Why do you always do this to me? Did you I, start with nine? I have nine through like fifteen. Okay, well, <laughs> this is gonna take me a few seconds. Not uh, a problem. Well, let me talk more about cough drops. You see, the best thing about cough drops is that you can let them sit in your mouth and dissolve, like other things. I'm thinking of candy and nothing else. This will probably all be cut, unless it's not because I get lazy and I'm just like, well, whatever. All right, I'm ready, Al. Take it away, Phil. Sabrina learns the tomorrow ball is crap. And I think that is seven words. Damn yes, it. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Shit. Total crap? Uh, Yes. Uh, we'll go. I think I got it, Al. Go ahead, Phil. Sabrina learns the tomorrow ball is total crap. Wow, that's exactly eight. Thanks, Al. Way to go. And uh, very accurate. Uh, she also gets a near upskirt of one uh, Eugene Poole, but we'll get there. <laughs> That's so true. Episode 22, The Great Mistake, first aired May 2nd, 1997 to 13.2 million viewers, an 8.9 rating, 16 share, and the 37th most viewed episode of uh, television that given week. We open... Outside of the linen closet, where the Spellmans help Salem prep for his parole meeting. After hearing that his breath is fresh, but not medicine-y, he is wished good luck and enters the linen closet. We then see him greeting his parole officer, Mr. Gray, and unsuccessfully glad-handing him, as he is a very crotchety man. Uh, He's having none of the idea that he may have lost weight. He knows he's fat, but he wears it well. 
Gray notes that he's pleased with Salem, Salem's progress before asking him several quickfire questions, wherein we find out that Salem doesn't have a UTI, good for him, show off, and knows how to pull out as he hasn't gotten any strays in trouble. When Mr. Gray asks if he still wants to take over the world in a quickfire way, Salem blindly says yes before realizing and trying to change his answer to no, to no avail. Uh, he soon then arrives home weeping as only Nick Bakai can and telling Sabrina that she shouldn't ask how it went, running away as we go to the open. Enjoying your life as a cat? Yes. Any urinary tract problems? No. Giving back to the community? Yes. Gotten any strays in trouble? No. Still want to take over the world? Yes. Wait, no. I meant no. No! <laughs> How'd it go? Don't ask. Let's start with the outfits on display here, because that was where I started. Ah. Uh, uh, would you be speaking of Hilda's outfit? Actually, I want to go with the positives first. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, Salem looks adorable in his very 90s denim collar and yellow tie combo. I mean, you're going to go see your parole officer. You're going to have to dress up a little bit. So I was glad to see him in uh, collar and tie. That's right. He, he's he's putting on all the efforts. And good ward, did you spot Beth Broderick looking as good as she possibly ever has in that peach satin shirt of hers? I mean, that satin shirt, it just kind of flowed and let your imagination pretty much take over. Simply stunning. And she's wearing it with like high-waisted trousers, which looked real good. Um, the, the, the cherry on top of Beth Broderick is the fact that she had her shirt tied at the midriff. Mm. That's, that's like one of my favorite things that girls and women do is well, 18-year-old girls and above do. And got to cover all the bases there. Um, is the the midriff tie? That's that's always great. Now you mentioned again. You mentioned Hilda, and let's get there. She's probably sporting one of the stupidest outfits she's ever worn. Uh, it was terrible, dude. I mean, it's a white shirt, a white dress, mm-hmm. and it's about knee length. Mm-hmm. And then you got red stars, and I literally had to f- pause it to look like scene by scene. There are limes and strawberries on this dress. And grapes. It's it's yes. a fucking produce dress, and it's 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 well cut for her, but yes. it's stark white, and she's wearing like a white long sleeve shirt under it, which makes it look even stupider. Yeah. Also, she's wearing like bright neon yellow heels. It's just awful. Fuck off, Hilda. <laughs> well, fuck off, Hilda's fashion sense. At least that, yes. Uh, what did what did you have here, Phil? Um, well, I had that, uh, we saw that the Salem robot, again, was wearing the collar and tie, which I thought was adorable. Very cute. Um, and I know we've talked about it before, but the Salem robot is almost lifelike. It almost looks that good at this yep. point. But um, by the start of season two, he looks like you'd expect him to look. Right. Um, then we have Salem meeting his parole officer. Now, did you look around the parole officer's uh, office? I did. I noticed there was a there's like a poster with a lot of cats. Yes. So he must be the parole officer for the cat division of mm-hmm. because there was like a poster and it listed like all these different cats on it. Yep. Uh, which was I thought pretty hilarious. I like to think that uh, what kind of offense you commit dictates what kind of cat you become. Yeah. Must like, be. Oh, multiple rapist. You're a fucking calico now. That'll teach you. <laughs> 
So Salem tries to butter him up by saying that he's lost some weight, but you know that really goes nowhere. Yeah, um, he he is a he is a starkly unattractive man. He really is. Did you see what was on his desk though? I don't think I did. So he actually had a cat bowl on his oh, desk as well. Right. Um. Oh, so yeah, then Salem, of course, he does state that he wants to still take over the world. They deny his parole, and he goes back, uh, back and back home, whimpering, um, whimpering, and that's exactly where the scene ends. Yep, decent open. It was in her room. Sabrina is working on her biology project and asks Salem if it looks like the cross section of a cell. Uh, he basically just says it looks like shit, and. Um, Notes that it looks like she cut a styrofoam ball in half, which, in all honesty, she did. She then derides his biology knowledge and heads to enter the linen closet, uh, finding that it's one of those classic 1990s closet-to-closet salesmen. Afternoon, miss. You the lady of the house? I'm one of them. Can I help you? Question is, can I help you? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Linus J. Skizik's Quality Witchwear. You're selling something, aren't you? Oh, only the finest and most enchanting, enchanted items you'll find in any realm. Now, might I interest you in some snake oil? What does it do? What do you want it to do? <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. It's guaranteed to keep your snake slick, slippery, and completely squeak-free. Setting up his pop-up table, Linus J. Skizix begins showing off his wares. First, a bottle of snake oil that Sabrina notes they don't need as they don't have any squeaky snakes. This leads him to tempt her with a minuscule copy of the Encyclopedia Micronica, which he helps her to read with a pair of his giganto glasses. Zelda then arrives to find her marveling at a big M, and while Linus tries to charm her and sell her an amazo stick that uh, he says she can use to beat off the fellas, and uh, judging by the hand motion he was making pulling the amazo stick out of the, the bag... Looks like he has quite the history in beating off. hey Thank you. She has uh, none of this salesmanship, however, and after he offers her a tomorrow ball, allowing them to see tomorrow today, Zelda tells him, quote, We don't need your tomorrow balls or your amazo sticks. No, thank you. Mm. We don't need your tomorrow balls or your amazo <laughs> sticks or any of your other fine <laughs> products. Now, goodbye. <laughs> A line that any single man has heard by this point. <laughs> she then pushes him into the closet. Sabrina asks why she did that, but Zelda just tells her not to waste her money on that junk, and that the best way to see tomorrow is by going to sleep tonight. Sabs says that she still has to finish her biology project, but Zelda tells her to just go get it done and heads downstairs. This leads Sabrina to run back to the linen closet, where Linus is waiting. She asks him how much for the tomorrow ball, discovering that it's 500 coin of the realm or three bucks American, and uh, ends up buying it. She then walks away happily as Linus notes that there's one in every house and closes the linen closet door. In her room, uh, she shows Salem the ball and tests it out, asking what grade she'll get on her project, eventually seeing Mr. Poole in a skirt saying A-, and she celebrates this. The A minus, not the skirt. Salem asks why he's sporting the Catholic school girl uniform, but she just says that she's seen the future, but she does not understand it. Okay, Phil. Uh, let's start with Linus. Yep. Played by Wayne Duval, and I think he's putting in a great day's acting work here. Um, 
he really does do a very good job of being that like slimy, heartless salesman who feigns friendliness to make a sale. Right. Very, very um, Glen Gary, Glen Ross of him. I, I would like to see a Linus J. Skeezix, Glen Gary, Glen Ross takeoff. <laughs> um, yeah, so we see him peddling his wares. Um, so do you do you want to go through each individual wear, Al? Let's see uh, if you let's, would use it. or Let's, what, well, let's what, do this, Phil. Which of his wares would you buy? Um, if, you, if you could only buy one, if I could only buy one, and yes. uh, I would probably get the tomorrow ball. Yeah, I mean that—that's it's definitely the most magical one. The rest of them are just like things you could probably actually find in like some sort of novelty store. I mean, I mean, first of all, it must be 1997 because we still have an encyclopedia written yeah. out. A physical one. Also, it's not that big for being such a... a, a, Well, I mean, it's written very small, but I mean, encyclopedias are usually like 26 books, one for each letter. Yeah. I mean, it's a big M. And it's a a big M. (laughs) Um, The Amazo stick seems like something fun to pull out at parties. I mean, the Amazo stick looked like the original, like, portable stripper pole. That's what I thought. That's true. Or it looks like half a little giant. Like, if you you buy two... You put by two and get the the steps for it. You could actually have a little giant ladder. Yeah. He probably made a million dollars just like, if I stick two of these together, I can make a halfway decent ladder. But now, yeah, t- tomorrow ball is the way to go. Now, what do you think about the exchange rate at the other realm? I mean, 500 <laughs> coin for three bucks American? Come on. God, the, the inflation there is just ludicrous. I mean. But do you remember him like, remember what he was yelling as he was getting pushed out? Was it, was it? 90 days, same as cash, or six no, months, same as cash? 900 years, same as cash. Oh, so, wow, very little interest. So, I mean, come on. $3? You gotta have the 900 years of interest? I mean... <laughs> she should have I mean, done it. You should just, just throw over the three bucks and be done with it. Honestly, I'd have been like, here's one penny, I will see you next decade for your next penny. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, and, and then nine years later, just move. They'll never find you. Now, what do you what did you think about the Tomorrow Ball? Like when she used it, um, I think it's a cool idea. Um, I I like the I I think the effect is what you would expect it to be. Like you know, Mister Pool appearing in, in like smoky vision. Um, it I, looks it looks like something anyone in the late nineties, any teen in the late nineties, would have on her desk. You know, just to be like cool and hip. Now, I would think. Like, yes, you are correct there. But let's say, like, the graphics themselves of, you know, Mr. Pool. Mm-hmm. I mean, he almost looked robotic. It wasn't like... Yeah, that like, was weird. It wasn't like, oh, it's like, I'm, show- you know, we're going to show a scene of what's going to happen. It was right. pretty much like, A minus. It's true. And then, what you what and- you would expect to happen is, like... Mr. Pool to be a scene, as you said, a scene being shown where Mr. Pool says A minus, but when you get to it, it's like you didn't get an A minus, right? You got a C, exactly. Like it, that's exactly what I thought was gonna happen. Like okay, you know him say oh A minus, and then it's like you know him him actually saying later on in the scene, right. it's shown out of context, right? Basically, so you know I thought that's that was something that I disliked <laughs> about the episode, and I right. disliked that there was no continuity from one scene to another of him saying right this, um, this just shows that the tomorrow ball is just wrong right it's just like totally wrong the only thing i got right is that he was gonna wear a kilt That's which true. has who nobody cares i mean it's not gonna I mean, affect I, my a grade it's not gonna affect her grade i mean jenny matter? cared a lot 
Well, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, also, I liked how when Salem was like, why is Mr. Poole wearing a skirt? Sabrina says, huh? Like she didn't notice? Yeah. Like, like, what all the she fuck was, are you talking about? It's like the one thing she, you would see. Like all the things she was wearing was the A-. minus. Yep. But she was like, oh, A-. minus. Oh, that was worth the three bucks. Let me throw this ball in the trash. <laughs> God, what an idiot. Oh, tomorrow ball. What grade will I get on my project? A-. minus. A-? minus. Good enough. But why is Mr. Poole wearing a Catholic schoolgirl's uniform? Huh. I have seen the future, but I don't understand it. All right. Uh, in Westbridge, Sabrina says hi to Harvey. And when he asks what she's holding, she notes that it's her biology project, which makes him say whoops before covering up the insult by dropping his books to make it seem as though that's why he was saying whoops. Also, whoops is a weird thing to say. <laughs> Whoopsie Daisy. Whoops, jeez, way to fuck that one up, you dumb bitch. I mean, oh, my books, sorry. <laughs> Jenny then comes over, beaming, as she got the Smashing Pumpkins tickets, and Sabrina tells a lie, noting that their lives are 12 hours away from being perfect. Sabs is confused when Jenny gives Harvey his ticket, since his parents said no more concerts after the Metallica incident. But he just says that what they're forcing him to do is sneak out, adding that he'll probably be grounded, but he doesn't have any plans next weekend. He didn't say it that cleverly, but he should have. Just then, the gang spots Mr. Poole walking by in his skirt to the sounds of catcalls. And as Jenny comments that Mr. Poole's got some fine-ass legs, Sabrina says that now she understands leaving Harvey to beg for clarification. In science class, Mr. Poole collects the projects before explaining his outfit, noting that it's Scottish Pride Day and asking if the class has any questions. Fearful of getting back to science, Harvey asks for some famous Scotsmen, and Mr. Poole names William Wallace, Mary Queen of Scots, and Dr. Ian Wilmot, the guy who cloned the sheep. Sabrina then asks if Scots do any jigs, showing her racism, and an insulted Mr. Poole notes that jigs are something those silly Irishmen do, before saying that Scots do the Highland Fling, and breaking into an honestly impressive little dance. Uh, can you do one of those jigs? A jig? Please, that's a silly Irish dance. We Scots do the Highland Fling! What's going on here? Hootman, the principal. I thought this was a science class. It's Scottish <coughs> uh, Pride Day. I don't care if it's dressed like your Aunt Sally Day. This is inappropriate behavior for a biology teacher. Once you're in my office after school, and no more dancing. The fling is soon cut off by Principal LaRue, making his long-awaited return to the show, who enters to stop this foolishness. And when Mr. Poole says it's Scottish Pride Day, he tells him he doesn't care if it's dressed like your Aunt Sally day. It's inappropriate. And that he wants to see Mr. Poole after school. Later after school, LaRue lectures Poole before telling him to go put some trousers on. Sabrina tries to make him feel better by complimenting his purse, but Mr. Poole just whines that it's a sporin before asking to see her for a minute to talk about her project. Phil. Yes, sir. My first note here is, holy shit, Nate Richard is super over-tanned in this episode. 
Let's see. I I didn't notice it, but I I didn't notice it to be honest with you. I I think if you go back and watch it, mm-hmm. you'll see he clearly. I don't know if he fell asleep in a t- in a tanning bed or he went to the George Hamilton School of Skincare, but Jesus, he looked positively presidential. Uh, also, <laughs> Mister Poole looks like he's got a bit of a tan going. Also, hmm. Well, yeah. Maybe they, you know, must have been. Uh... They must have had a break and must have all gone to Florida or something. <laughs> yeah, j- j- him, uh, Mr. Poole, and uh, they-, they grabbed Nick Bakai. All the guys went out on a-, a boy's trip to the beach. Yeah, man trip. I also thought that Paul Feig does do a pretty impressive effort of the Highland Fling. I mean, he, he gets he-, he gives it some socks, as someone you c- might say. You could definitely tell that he was absolutely had practiced it. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't like, okay, let's just do a jig like, you know, we're we're just gonna do a jig and we'll cut the scene. I mean, you could definitely tell they spent some time with them doing. Yeah, if you if you had asked him to go thirty seconds longer, he would have had thirty seconds of more dancing for you yeah. to do. Um, uh, he also pulled off a kilt pretty well, I thought. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had the legs for it. Even even they even commented about it. That's true. What'd you have here, Phil? Uh, well, let's we can start back at the scene opening. Um, sure. So the thing that caught my eye the most was what Sabrina was wearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it literally looked like she either skinned Barney the dinosaur and made him into a pantsuit, yep. or she raided Prince's purple rain closet um, and just took took his stuff and just wore it. The, I mean, the color, the color, it, it looks like something like your your not your mom because your mom is my mom, but like someone's mom would have worn in the nineties. I mean, it literally looked too like Prince. It literally looked like Prince's purple rain outfit. I mean, it, I was it, just it, like, honestly, easily could have been. It was terrible. I didn't. I didn't like the zippers on the the chest either. I mean, there was the only thing I liked about the outfit is that mm-hmm. she was wearing a white shirt underneath. That was literally the only she thing. Was. Everything like else could have gone to, like a to, cream knit sweater. Um, and then of course you know they talk about the P- Smashing Pumpkins concert. Oh, in in usual nineties, you know. <laughs> you know what? To be per- to be perfectly fair. It's at least a timely reference. It's not like they're like, oh, we got Violent Femmes tickets again. Let's go. Well, you know why? Because the, they could get the Violent Femmes to show up. That's true. Unlike Smashing Pumpkins, who actually was doing stuff back then. They probably couldn't get them if they tried. I would have loved it if like Jenny walks up and is like, I got the Peter Gabriel tickets. It's going <laughs> to rock. <laughs> Sledgehammer all night long. Oh, he's going to do big time. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Now here's the thing, Phil. Were you a Smashing Pumpkins fan in the '90s? Um, I was not a Smashing Pumpkins fan in the '90s. I mean, if I had to go for like grunge rock, it would probably would have been Nirvana for me. Fair. Um, fair. I mean, I, I think it's funny that they're like, "Oh, Harvey, your parents said no more concerts after that Metallica incident." I mean, it's Harvey, so I like to think that the incident was instead of buying like a Peter Frampton album, he accidentally bought a Metallica album, and his parents were like, "That's it, no more concerts." <laughs> You brought this thing into our house. Done. It's like, but I made a mistake. I, uh, I was looking for Peter Frampton live. Jeez. Uh, insert the Simpsons uh, pig <laughs> section here. <laughs> it's pretty good. Ah, <laughs> oh, my pig. Do you feel like we do Springfield? Yeah. Do you, wait. Do you? Do you feel? Do, do you feel? Oh, come on. Do you feel? God. Homer Simpson wrecks my pig. Cypress Hill steals my orchestra. And Sonic Youth's in my cooler. Get out of there, you kids. 
25 years I've been in this, I've never heard anything. I didn't even think about the fact that they were tied into the same episode, but it works perfectly. Like, <laughs> I, I literally, I know, I only knew one Smashing Pumpkins song that I could think of. Right. And I went to the Smashing Pumpkins Spotify to see if I knew any others, and still... I just confirmed that I only know one Smashing Pumpkins song. I mean, back then they were a big deal. I mean, I I don't think they kept up with, you know, with time. No. Uh, and I think, actually, I think only the real reason Nirvana kept up with time was unfortunate, the unfortunate passing. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's the only reason why it happened that way. But back to Smashing Pumpkins. The other thing <laughs> was um, when they said that <laughs> there were 12 hours from having their lives being perfect. Yep. I was I was I was kind of in awe when he, they said that. What a lie! Now, what did you think about Harvey? What he was wearing? I he's like, it, it almost feels to me like they. Are, I mean, they're getting towards the end of a season, so it's it's summer in California, and it's like Harvey's just going to wear what somebody in the '90s in California would wear just to make Nate Richard comfortable. It's just like he's just wearing some blue short sleeve shirt, you know. Bopping I mean, I, around. I actually thought it looked pretty good on him. You know, with the lateral stripes. It looked yep. it looked good, I thought. Um and it, it would be something of that time. Um as as I told you before we started recording, I started watching the first couple episodes of the second season recently. Mm-hmm. Um there's gonna be some growing pains with Harvey's hair in season two. Oh no. Yeah. Uh one last thing here. Uh Mr. Poole gets all shitty with Sabrina about calling his purse his sporin a purse. <laughs> Fun fact, if you Wikipedia search the term sporin, you will actually see that it's described as the Scottish Gaelic word for purse. Fuck you, Mr. Poole. Get a better knowledge of your heritage, all right? Yeah. She was right. Eat it, Mr. Poole, and your Gaelic ways. (laughs) (laughs) That can be taken out of context very easily. I'm sorry. It's not what I meant. No. Absolutely not. I meant his lack of knowledge of Gaelic things. Yes. Oh, one quick thing. Uh, sure. I, di- I did enjoy the the, prin- the view of the principal again and yep. uh, him saying it's <laughs> dressed like your Aunt Sally day. That's right. God. <laughs> D- different time in the 90s. Oh, yeah. All right. It's all yours, Al. <laughs> Thank you. In the classroom, Sabrina confidently guesses that she got an A- minus on her project, only to have Mr. Poole tell her that, in fact, she got a C- adding that her work was shoddy as she left out the mitochondria. Shocked by this, she notes that tomorrow looked a lot better yesterday. Before Mr. Poole tells her that she can take the project over, uh, sorry, take the project home and do it over over the weekend. At home, Zelda gives us the greatest intro to a scene ever. Balls, 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 balls. What's going on? It's really interesting. Oh, that's all? before telling Hilda that she can't find her tennis racket, leading Hilda to offer hers if Zelda promises to return it. Retrieving the racket, she hands it over only to discover that it is in fact Zelda's racket, noting, as Zelda does, that it's got a Z on it. Not buying her story about Zelda's, uh, sorry, about Hilda's tennis match with Zoro, Zelda bemoans the fact that Hilda never returns the things she takes from her, and when Hilda asks for proof, Zelda zaps in a literal scroll full of evidence, which basically sounds like an inventory of the Sabrina prop room. Zelda demands their return, 
before an argument ensues, only stopping when Sabrina arrives home. She comes in pouting about how terrible magic is because she's dumb and an idiot, adding that her tomorrow ball was a liar. And when Zelda gives her shit as she warned her about a tomorrow ball, Sabrina basically tells her to fuck off with her warnings. She then reveals that she got a C on her project, which causes the aunts to go ballistic. And she tries to calm them down by explaining that she can do it over and promises to work on it all day. Tomorrow. When the ants ask why she won't start today, uh, she says that she has to go get ready for the Smashing Pumpkins concert, which causes them to zap her back to them so they can tell her that she's not going. They add, she showed poor judgment trusting me tomorrow ball, so she's grounded for the weekend. In her room, Sabs complains about missing the concert, leading Salem to snark the fuck out of her. She goes to throw the tomorrow ball angry at it into her closet only to discover her vacuum her flying vacuum salem knows that he smells a plan before leaving to create a distraction and telling her she should set the vacuum to whisper uh, we then soon see her exiting the window giving us the real pathetic rockstar line no risk no rock phil Balls, 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 balls. That was the great one of the greatest lines of this season, if anything. <laughs> Amazing. And also, good fucking God, Beth Broderick looks excellent in a tennis outfit. You know, when I was watching it, I was thinking, this Al Al's uh, literally dream is coming true right now. Al's taking screen capture so fast his hands are broken. <laughs> uh, also, of all the places to keep a tennis racket, a fucking piano bench? I mean, she, you know what? It worked because it hit it. It hit it from her, didn't it? And she doesn't know where it is, but it's like, maybe keep them with all the fucking balls. I mean, there <laughs> were an extended amount of balls in there, weren't there? At least 30. Uh, what'd you have in this uh, interplay with the aunties, Phil? We do have that uh, the big Z, ironically, yep. on the racket, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, now, did you get the list of things that she has borrowed from her? I I did I don't have the complete list. I did I do remember um uh some sort of crook. Okay. Juggling clubs. That's one. Uh from there it's it's pretty hard. I the the two that I caught was crossbow. Ah, yes. And juggling clubs. That's the two I caught. And that uh, Zelda has kept a list since 1542. I you know what? Fair fucks to her. I would also keep a list if somebody took my juggling clubs. <laughs> I mean, 1542, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, uh, Zelda, of course, is sick of her taking her stuff and not returning it. Mm -hmm. uh, did you see what Hilda was wearing in this scene? Is this where she's wearing that like blue outfit? Yeah, with the long sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good on her. Definitely an improvement over that first one. Yeah, I, I agree. Um also, I have written down here that uh, Sabrina gets uh, grounded, so no smashing pumpkins for her. I guess despite all her rage, she's still just a brat in a cage. Oh. And I'm going to stop recording because I've done it again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Very um, proud of that. that. That, by the way, is the one smashing pumpkin song <laughs> I know. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, th I think you got a show title right there. <laughs> it's a bit of a long one, but it might just work. It might just fit in there. Um, 
And then Sabrina says that magic is a load of crock. I mean, come on, Sabrina. She does this all the fucking time. Get over yourself. First of all, because you are such... You are poorly implementing magic, okay? I mean, think about it. The way you are implementing magic is to try to figure out what's going on tomorrow. Yeah. Really? How about you just do your project with magic, and then you don't have to worry about it? That's what you do. I mean, God, what a freaking lazy bum you are, Sabrina. I, I just love how it's like, oh, magic is the worst. Listen, honey, you're making real poor use out of it, okay? You could be a lot happier. Now, what did you think about um, what did you think about the this vacuum and the scene where, well, the scene of her just like lifting out of her window with it? We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but okay. I, I think I, I do like the effect. It's clearly like some forklift lifting her up. Yes. And she has to, I like how she always has to duck under the, the window because the window is too small for her. Um, I, I, it's funny. The, the music played during that scene to me just sounded like a really shitty, like, killer's ripoff. Yep. Well, um, yeah, it's probably supposed to be a really shitty, you know, Smashing Pumpkins ripoff. <laughs> it, it would be a terrible Smashing Pumpkin. I, I would love it if somebody wrote, like, uh, is, is it Butterfly with Broken Wings or some? I think that's. Uh, rat in a cage uh it is bullet with butterfly wings what a shitty 90s title um but i would love it if somebody like tried to write a like a copy of that but not get sued it's like uh, d- despite all my anger i'm still just a bird in a cell <laughs> try and sue me smashing pumpkins try you'll lose billy corgan <laughs> Um, one last thing here. I do really enjoy the fact that Salem is basically just like her friend in the scene and is trying to help her out by causing a distraction. Yeah, it's almost it's like, like it's almost like a sibling. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll watch out for you. Go ahead. You know, he's got her back. I like that. I do, too. It was uh, it does show that interplay and, and that like like we've said before, that that genuine relationship that they have together. And, and it's it's unique to the to them. You know, she doesn't really have that with anyone because she can be who she really is, you know. A, per, a teen and a witch around Salem at the same time. Right. Uh, we then get a montage of Sabrina flying uh, over the greater Boston area, only to see a cop on a police-issued Hoover begin chasing her to pull her over. Uh, when we see her later, she is being walked into the back patio of the Spellman house, where the officer explains to the aunties that he caught her flying with a full bag and trailing a lot of dust. Catch me flying with a full bag, if you know what I mean. All right. um, pretty bad. That was one of the worst ones. But that when he tried to get her to pull over, she took off. She explained that she was looking for a well-lit area, which I, I do like. And uh, he lets her off with a warning, adding that there are a lot of sad stories out there in the dark night sky. Well, I'll let you go with the warning this time. But be careful. There's a lot of sad stories out there in the dark night sky. Consider me warned. Thank you, officer. Good night. And fly safe. In the kitchen, the aunties angrily ask for an explanation from Sabrina, but she notes that she doesn't have one. She does, however, say that she's feeling low, and coincidentally, oddly begins shrinking. She asks what they're doing, but they explain that it's her, and she's small because she feels small, and will only grow when she feels better. They tell her to go to her room before taking her there themselves when she accurately points out how long it would take her to get there. 
Zelda soon puts her on her desk, and Sabrina apologizes for what she did. Uh, Zelda tells her they'll discuss it later before leaving Sabrina to wipe her tears on a tarp-sized tissue. Later on, the aunties come back to check on Sabrina and initially think that she went out again, but eventually discover her on the bed, thanks to Salem carrying her in his mouth. It took all my self-control not to eat her. They're shocked that she's still so small, and uh, Zelda reminds her that the important part of making mistakes is to learn from them, noting that everyone makes them. Hilda snarkily notes that everyone except for Zelda as she's perfect, but Zelda mentions that even she makes mistakes. Rarely. Just like Al. Bullshit. I've edited no less than seven mistakes from this podcast already. He makes mistakes all the time. Don't let him fool you. He's not perfect. He adds He's extra not. mistakes. He adds extra mistakes to his guest hosts just to make him look better. I know. He adds more mistakes on us and then cuts the stuff out. This is probably being cut out as we speak. Oh, it's definitely gone. <laughs> Sabrina then asks them to tell her about some of their mistakes, and Salem offers to kickstart things with the story of how he became a cat for a hundred years. We uh, then go to a dark war room where Salem, the human, plots his world domination albeit with an interruption from Hilda, who offers the troops coffee and cream. Just as he lands on invading Madagascar first, a la Risk, and the group begins chanting witch power, so they're like a like a racist group, I guess? That's that's on that's not that there are a lot of like uncomfortable um things that get revealed in this episode, and that might be one of them that like he's he's up there, Salem. But anyway, uh, after th- all that happens, some very familiar police raid the meeting and haul Salem away as he says that they're just meeting to discuss new ways of thinking. And Salem then notes that he was uh, sentenced to 100 years behind whiskers, I believe. Follow me. And I promise I will be the most benevolent dictator the world has ever seen. Did I say dictator? I meant leader. Oh. The time is now! Witch power. Witch, witch power. power. Witch power. Oh no! The witch fuzz! We're busted! Party's over, Salem. You're under arrest for conspiracy to dominate the world. But we're a non-profit organization. We meet to discuss new ways of thinking. <laughs> so I was sentenced to a hundred years behind whiskers. Heading back to, uh... Sabrina and her run-in with the law. You mean the montage of her flying around? Yeah. The greater Boston area? It's it's pretty pretty mediocre. I think it's pretty mediocre in all honesty. Alright, so I have I have some issues and some things I want to talk about. So um so we see her, you know, fly out with sparks coming from the bottom of the of the vacuum. Mm-hmm. She's flying around and of course the montage music starts playing. And she yells, Billy Corgan, here I come. <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> uh, B- Billy Corgan wasn't even attractive in the 90s. I don't know if you've seen him recently, but he's less so. I mean, he literally looks like a shaved head like of a pig. He looks like a pig head, literally. He looks, yeah, he looks like, well, I'm not going to say what he looks like, but he doesn't look good. All right. So then she, she is chased, or, then all of a sudden, a police officer on a vacuum with lights and sirens start yeah. flies behind him. Okay. So I know we've talked about this before about the interplay of the other realm into the real world and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. 
Okay. It makes no sense. Why is another realm police officer flying around? Okay. Okay. See, I can almost, I can almost understand that because it's like he's policing the witches in the mortal realm. You know, so he, his beat is the mortal realm, uh, Boston area to to make sure witches stick to the rules of flying vacuums in the mortal realm. I can get that. Uh, what bothers me is. He's always patrolling the skies. How has nobody seen him? Exactly. That that is the key that I'm trying to get to. Okay. So there are sparks coming from these vacuums, which in a, a night sky you could clearly see, mm-hmm. and like no one has ever seen this happen before. And in the Violent Femmes episode, uh, Libby just coincidentally spots Sabrina. So it's not like no one's ever looking out their window at night and sees this. It happened before in the continuity of the show. I can buy it if they were like, if they have some sort of shield, but explain that. So then he starts yelling for her to pull over. Uh, and then, of course, a high-speed vacuum chase pursues over the Boston sky. It's it's really shitty, too. It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, Melissa Joan Hart leans a little on her vacuum, but she doesn't want to because she knows she'll probably fall off of this forklift if she does. So it's like, oh, I'm swerving. It's just so high action. Then it's she, like speed, but on a vacuum. But then she exclaims, I'm in so much trouble, and just like yeah. continues on. Like, okay, well, if you're in so much trouble, why would you just try to outrun the police? You're just going to get yourself into more trouble. But Also, he says that she tried to take off, but it's like, you never really get that sentiment from the actual scene. Right. Like, she keeps going, but you don't like see her speed up. Right. Um, and then the other thing that kind of got me is, okay, so he catches up to her, brings her back to the house. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you still see the lights and siren, like yeah. the lights out there, like the strobe lights going. Yep. So, if you live like across the street, okay, and I want to do this a la Bewitched for, you know, where you had the nosy neighbor from across the street always looking at Tabitha uh, uh, and all the crazy things going on. Are we going to get your Jewish lady voice? <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I, I don't remember the, the character's name, or else I would go ahead and go do Is it. Is it Morty? I think it was Morty. <laughs> Morty? No, that, Morty. that's the guy. Morty's the guy from uh, the Swiffer commercials. That also might be it. (laughs) Morty, look how clean it is. Um, But no, uh, look how much dirt there's over here. Uh, In any case, um, here they are. We've now gotten your Jewish couple voice. Oh, what are you talking about? Uh, (laughs) That's just your Bernie Sanders. Don't even kid. Oh, it is. It's basically the same thing. I mean, (laughs) it's not that far away. Pun intended. Thank you. Um, in any case, uh, you see these lights out there going, and you're like, wouldn't anybody just driving by see like this vacuum sitting out there with these strobe lights on it? I mean, come on. Um, it's all the course- excesses of the 90s, Phil. Somebody bought a vacuum <laughs> with strobe lights on it. It's like, oh, God. Somebody uh, had to go clean of the rave, I guess. Now, the thing I did like about this section of stuff was that um, that you visually see that when something bad happens to a mm-hmm. witch, i.e. Sabrina, she feels bad about it and she literally will shrink. So right. I did like that aspect of it. How um, how many times do you think that's going to happen in the future, Phil? <laughs> More or less than zero. Yeah, I know. But she always does bad stuff and never shrinks. What's going on there? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I think the one good thing about it is you see that almost immediately she is remorseful. Yeah, she is. And then, you know? um, as you said before, we kind of roll into the um, you know, Salem talking is the first person to say, you know, how the bad stuff that he's done in his life. Yep. Um, and we are introduced to the invasion of Madagascar by the witches. 
I'm pretty sure it's Nick Pakai actually uh, acting as Salem because they block his face just to you know just to keep a mystique about it. But oh yeah, just the way I mean, you you couldn't really do that without having him be there just to get the uh, the timing of the lines right. Right, and that that is more or less his like body type. It it was, and then the other thing about it was like you said, the ironically the uh, very familiar looking police from the Boston yeah. area. Start raiding this place a hundred years ago and near Madagascar. I mean, yeah, the the black cop that pulls Sabrina over is definitely one of the cops there. Like, I think they try to hide his face too. Yes, they did, but you uh, could but, definitely tell. I mean, but he he speaks, you know, yeah, so you can yeah, hear his exactly. Voice. Come with me, like okay, and he's wearing the same outfit. <laughs> I mean, those uh, you know, the other rum clothes that stuff lasts forever. That is true. It's it's very well made. Um, what did you think? Bit, of, what did you think about this section of the scene? I mean, it, it's a it's a good scene generally. Uh, like I said, I do like the fact that Sabrina is remorseful. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about her "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" uh, effect. Like, I think that for the most of the episode, it looks pretty good. Like little Sabrina against the backdrop of actual you know, regular size, but in her case, very large people. I think it looks good when she's looking up at Hilda and Zelda. Um, it looks good when Salem's behind her. But I thought when she was on the table. Like that, you could pretty much see that it was just a set because, um, like that that tarp that she uses to dry her eyes, yeah. no one is believing that's a tissue. <laughs> I mean, I have to agree with you that that portion of it looked crappy, yeah. uh, for lack of a better word. Um, also, it, also a bit of fucked tell- up continuity. Uh, yeah, exactly. The continuity isn't there, um, and I kind of understand a little bit why. I mean. I mean, it's going to be like a three-second cutaway just to show her, uh, right. you know, this is what's happening. Now she's small. That thing was on her desk, and now she uh, she can wipe her eyes with it because she's small. Right. But a really, bit of really fucked up continuity. As you remember earlier in the episode, uh, she puts her tomorrow ball in her closet. Right. When when they put her down on, on the desk, it's right there. Well, you know, maybe somebody moved it, Al. You know, maybe uh, while she was, you know, 10 seconds ago flying around, maybe Salem's <laughs> like, oh. Why is this ball here? It should be on top of the bed. She'll really need this again. This is something she'll want. Or maybe he was like swatting at it and just rolled that out <laughs> on top of the bed. Amazing. Uh, Sabrina then asks how the aunties ended up with Salem. And Zelda says that it's all Hilda. She explains that she was young and gullible and she believed Salem could actually succeed. So uh, the council punished her for her involvement by making her keep Salem worm free for a century. Uh, Sabrina then asks if they were ever kids because she's an idiot. And uh, she was shocked to find out that they were in the 1300s. And Hilda notes that things were very different. Uh, We then get a shot of two young girls on a soapbox surrounded by commoners. And uh, we get one of my favorite Sabrina the Teenage Witch lines ever. Behold the abacus. Behold the blabacus. Behold the blabacus, Phil. <laughs> Will Zelda explains that an abacus is a, a counting device and explains to the commoners how it works. Uh, despite Widow Hilda teasing her, she adds soon that uh, Hilda's always trying to go for a cheap laugh and that quiet because they're trying to enlighten the masses. They could get into an argument about... Uh, Zelda's criticism of Hilda's comedy. And Hilda asks to see the abacus, 
before immediately running off with it, leaving little Zelda to complain that she always takes her stuff. When we return to the modern day, Zelda asks to see her list once again uh, to add Abacus to it, although I like to believe that Hilda kept the list and Zelda will never get it back. Sabrina then changes the conversation to careers and asks the aunties for their worst jobs. Hilda notes that she's had a lot of bad ones, like blacksmith, donkey walker, and uh, some others, but that the worst one was probably deep sea fisherman. Uh, we get a quick aside to Hilda being splashed by waves in a rowboat at sea. Zelda then hilariously notes that her worst job was probably when she was in Wales as a coal miner. And we're taken to a Welsh mine where she seems to be enjoying herself, actually, before uh, asking the canary Chirpy how it's doing and seeing it immediately keel over dead. She then tells Arfon to push the cart out as we leave Wales. Ah, I told you if we went deep enough, we'd find a seam, Gwinnick. How you doing, Chirpy? Chirpy? <laughs> Canary's dead! I still can't get my fingernails clean. Hilda tries correcting Zelda about her worst job, but Zelda says that they agreed never to talk about that. When Sabrina prods, we discover that, in fact, Zelda's worst job was the one time that the aunties worked together when the West was still wild as saloon entertainers, and we head to the sisters taking the stage clad in full Westworld regalia. Welcome. <laughs> Enough patter. Zelda then thanks the crowd, the surly crowd, for their warm buzzard gulch welcome before Hilda takes to the piano and they start one of their favorite songs, and they hope it's one of yours, Oh Susanna. Now, before we get to the rest of the scene, Phil, let's cover some of what we've just talked about. A lot of history in the Spellman family. Yep, we sure did. Uh, I think both of the little girls playing Little Zelda and Little Hilda do a great job. I think they were pretty hilarious, actually. Yeah, um, little, little Zelda especially. I mean, she pretty much hit hit it on the head, I mean, uh, of who that character is. It, it's funny when you think about it, because, like, we had teenage Hilda and Zelda, and now we've got Little Hilda and Zelda, and the casting is always pretty spot on. Uh, I, think, I think Little Zelda does a pretty great job of not only being, like, outwardly intelligent and kind of like snarkishly so but also really convincingly fighting with uh with hilda i liked her a lot i i do as well uh, i'm also pretty sure about the whole zelda mining thing well one is fucking hilarious but uh two is a ripoff of a movie but i wasn't sure which one so i googled and i was stunned to find out there's actually like way too many mining movies set in wales well, I mean, uh, that's like one of the things that they're known for in Wales is coal mining. I think I'm pretty sure I narrowed it down to how green was my valley, since it's pretty much the most popular and, well, famous, definitely, um, Welsh mining movie. There's a distinction for it. Uh, it even beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture in 1941. Ooh, take that. That's take right. that, Citizen Kane. What did you think of Zelda and her mining past? Um, I... I was with you. She didn't look like she was hating it too much. I mean, she was all she was doing was like sitting there in the bucket, like oh. 
I do. I love how much she seems to be enjoying it. Like Beth Broderick particularly is, is so great at this where it's like, ah, I told you we'd get it. How you doing, birdie? And then of course it's, you hear the bird like, like kill over. It's like, oh, we gotta get out of here. Well, yeah, it's great. we're all gonna I, die. I, as compared to like Hilda's scene where she's just like, head over there, ah, water, dummy. Like you get a lot more out of Zelda. Yeah, I mean it was pretty bad. Um, what else do you have here, Phil? Uh, I really didn't have very much. Um, we kind of, you know, we kind of just covered it, and then yep. also, uh, I kind of worked into the showgirl. Um, yep into the wild west and um it was kind of funny to that was the first job that they worked together in hundreds of years that was the first job i'm like Uh, how in hundreds and hundreds of years was that the first job that you guys worked together zelda was afraid she'd take all her money it made no sense to me well let's talk about that then phil because despite decent vocals by beth broderick and copious amounts of bustle shaking uh (laughs) the crowd turns on them and starts throwing garbage to stop them our first number is uh one of our favorite songs and we hope you like it too Two bits that night. And then they ran us out of town. Current Zelda then notes that they made two bits that night and they were promptly then run out of town. The sisters then tell Sabrina that fortunately they discovered the secret to financial security, junk. The hoarders go on to explain that if you hold on to anything long enough, it becomes valuable, adding that they just sold their pewter dishes to the Smithsonian for an obscene amount of money and they'll be retiring on plaid thermoses. Sabrina uh, then tries to get to the good stuff, their love lives, but Zelda first tells Salem to beat it. After he leaves, uh, she says that she wants to know when their first kiss was, uh, 16 for Zelda, and Hilda comes in at a respectable 48. When uh, she asks if either of them have been married, Zelda tries to stop her, but Hilda calls off her sister, reminding us all that she was once engaged to Drell. Hilda then says that she had everything, including the Acropolis, everything that is except for the groom. And we are taken to Greece, where we see Hilda, clad in what I thought was a lovely little like gold Grecian rat thing, waiting next to a some sort of chaplain, I guess. Zelda keeps watch of the time on a sundial, eventually announcing that He's an hour late before telling her sister that she's sorry for her. Uh, Hilda says that she's fine, but as they walk away, she zaps the air behind her, knocking the Acropolis down. When we return to Sabrina's room, Hilda notes that thankfully, history has blamed the Turks. Sabrina then asks if Zelda was ever married, and while Hilda notes that Zelda is too picky, Zelda reveals that, in fact, she actually has been stunning her sister. We go on to discover that Zelda was married during the Renaissance when she met a guy in Florence and were taken to an Italian dwelling where, as she sews, her lute-playing lover Benvolio enters. Awful name. 
She's glad to see him, but worries as her father doesn't like him very much. Luckily for him, he's at a bear baiting. Let's 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 analyze the uh, the country western scene here for a second. Yeah. Did did you think that uh, Beth Broderick her singing skills were pretty good? Because I did. I mean, I, I don't. I actually thought both their singing skills were pretty pretty good. Um, you could definitely tell that they had some kind of performing past of some sort. Yep. Um, either off Broadway or something like that, because you could definitely tell that they, they were very comfortable in singing and. Um, the the actual scene though itself i did like that they're you know nobody liked their singing and they start throwing stuff at them yeah um actually one person actually broke a bottle uh yeah so it was it was pretty pretty comical in that aspect i also love like her her dancing but not because it's good but like it's the it's like a perfect mix of energetic and clearly uncomfortable like looking at beth broderick the actor there's a point where she's singing where she says like oh Susanna and she starts like doing some hand waving <laughs> that 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 just reeks of like someone told me to do this this is what I'm going to do this isn't what I would do cuz I don't usually do this it's like uh, this is what this is what western is I like I love it I love it this is actually I think one of the more memorable memorable scenes the aunties have in the entire first season like if you think about them being like silly willies why would you? Because that's a weird phrase. But uh, this comes right to mind. Uh, I, I did like that the retirement plan was uh, a bunch of pewter thermos or uh, plaid thermoses. Yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I, I Hopefully they diversify because I don't know if anybody's really going to want those. Um, you know, they're probably waiting a while. You know, <laughs> a couple hundred years. A couple hundred years. But uh, I, the pewter dishes, though, that they made an obscene amount of money on those. That is great. And I do appreciate the fact that they explain how the aunties are so financially secure, despite the fact that neither of them have a full-time job. Right. Like, they just do whatever. Well, now we know why. It's because they've hoarded a bunch of stuff throughout time and yeah. are now selling it. Um, Do you know what a bear baiting is, Phil? Uh, I do not. Okay. This kind of reveals a bit of, like, horribleness in Sabrina's family line and her grandfather particularly, because... A bear baiting is a blood sport kind of entertainment that involved setting dogs to attack a captive bear. Wow. So th- they they would like they would tie a bear to like a a, a chain or a, or a rope and like have that tied to a peg so it couldn't run away and they would set dogs to attack it. Oh, well that's And un- people that, would watch this. That doesn't seem very fair. No, not not particularly. Uh, apparently Queen Elizabeth big fan of bear baiting. Oh. Basically, the first Queen Elizabeth, I should be clear. Maybe the second, who knows. Uh, basically, Sabrina's grandpa is real fucked up. Well, I mean, you know, it's, again, Lord knows when this was. I mean, it's probably, you know. The Renaissance. The Renaissance. So you're talking, you know, 1500s. Mm. It's, it's yeah, it makes, if, it, I mean, what else are you going to do in the 1500s? D- different time. Yeah. I, I really hope we don't see, like, 1700s Spellmans in Virginia, just because uh, I would worry. Oh, your, gran- f- your grandpa was a, was, a, was a cotton farmer. Don't ask any questions about that. Well, the 1700, uh, well, if you could, if, if anything, they're probably, knowing where they're at, they probably never went that far south. They probably original to... You know, the, to New England. That's true. Although there was slavery in the North. Wow. Well, look, yeah. Al. 
This is a TV show. We're not trying to get. Uh, I, I w- I would love it if there's like if there was ever an episode where it's like Hilda and Zelda in the 1700s as like uh, underground railroad helpers. It's like you- I, I know I know the underground railroad wasn't actually underground. I'm not an idiot. Or I mean, parts of it were, but mostly it wasn't. But were I mean, they, Zelda were they the ticket uh, clicking people? Yeah, yeah, they were, the, <laughs> they were the ticket takers on the underground railroad. There you go. But, I mean, Zelda already has experience working underground. There you go. Come on. All right, overjoy. <laughs> insert ticket clicking music here. Click, 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 click. And done. And you cut that part out. I right, it's gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to insert more of you making that sound just to make it look bad. Over, <laughs> overjoyed by hearing about the bear baiting, Benvolio goes into a song he wrote for her, performing what I thought was a pretty solid rendition of Green Sleeves, later explaining that he wrote this because she did wear green sleeves yesterday. Shall I strum? Pretty. <laughs> Alas, my love, you do me wrong to cast me out discourteously when I have loved you so long, delighting in your company. Green sleeves is all my joy, and who but my lady green sleeves? Work in progress. Benvolio, I love it. Well, you wore green sleeves yesterday. It's beautiful. Overtaken by her beauty, which is fair, Benvolio proposes, and uh, as he's playing her like a lute, she accepts, leading them to run off to an all-night chapel in the field of myrrh he knows. Back in Sabrina's room, Zelda notes that the marriage lasted three days, and she complains about musicians. Hilda is stunned by this revelation, as it means that Zelda made a mistake and isn't perfect. Zelda tries to wrap things up for the night, but Sabrina complains, so she allows her niece one more question. After considering the doozy of whether or not they've made their own sausage, she asks the aunties how they decided to let her live with them, which they say was easy, as uh, with her coming into her powers and her parents basically being terrible, they thought that the best place for her was with them. Uh, We then see the aunties return from a night at the opera, both super excited about Sabrina's impending arrival. Um, Their door is opened by a hunky male servant who takes their coats, as they mention how they're the closest thing she has to a normal home, as at least they're suburban witches. Hilda then worries about doing something to ruin Sabrina's life, but Zelda reassures her sister before telling hunky servant number two that she will take her massage later. Now you do realize once Sabrina's here, we'll have to make a few changes. What, what? No more late nights on the town, no more weekends in Tuscany. No more Formula One racing? Too risky. Hey, we can turn the second floor disco into her bedroom. Sitting down to an elegant dinner, uh, Zelda notes that they'll have to change a few things before Sabrina arrives. Like, no late nights on the town, no more weekends in Tuscany, and no more Formula One racing. After Hilda offers to turn their second floor disco into Sabrina's room, she tells Lance, hunky servant number three, to stop pouting about that. Leading Zelda to note there's something else that has to go, and summoning all the men. Just three, not like 39. Telling them that they need to talk. 
and uh, leading the men to give us a pretty hilarious, like, frowny face all at the same time. Sabrina initially feels sad as her aunts gave up so much for her, but uh, they tell her that they love having her there and they, they've never regretted it. Sabrina then says she feels something bubbling, and no, it's not that Mexican food. It's uh, her returning back to her normal size. That would have been a lot funnier if I didn't say, ah, right there. Just hearing it back. <laughs> Come on, Al. Cut out that ah. No, Come on, Al. Uh, you can do it. Fuck it. It stays. Uh, she thanks them for their stories, adding that they're such cool aunts before checking to see if she's still grounded. She is. Okay, Phil. Benvolio is uh, played by Brian Lane Green, who I thought is pretty good as the um, the playing lover of Zelda, and I thought did a pretty solid performance of Greensleeves. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, he did a good he did a good performance all around, just for in that scene, um, basically professing his love and doing his little dance and song as being he's... jubilant as any uh, renaissance man would be absolutely uh he really played the part of uh, the renaissance man no pun intended you'll be uh you'll be interested possibly maybe not who mm-hmm. fuck knows to find maybe. out that he was he was once nominated for a tony for his performance in star mites oh i thought you meant it as bervolio as Ben Volio, he was nominated for a Tony. <laughs> they, they took this episode of Sabrina. This, this would be an episode that you would turn into like a musical. It would be. I mean, they make a musical out of anything nowadays. Why not? They made they literally made a musical out of Catch Me If You Can, and it won four Tony Awards. God. Um, I thought of the two opera gowns we see the aunties wearing. Hilda's was actually prettier. Hmm. Zelda's was that like cream with like a black kind of waist print on it but it had that giant cream bow on the back okay not terrible but you know i thought hilda's was a more elegant all black gown with some lovely lace on top just i thought a more solid uh special occasion gown mm. so hilda won this one chalk it uh, up for her taza to you hilda and, and one of the things i thought i liked most about that scene in particular was um while you would kind of expect Hill to, to, you know, complain about having to give things up for Sabrina for comedy's sake, I love the fact that she's instead written to not only be willing to give things up, but even volunteering their disco, because it shows how much she actually cares for her aunt, for her niece rather, and how, um, you know, just how much love there is between them. It really ties that family feeling together and that dynamic together. The thing I I kind of found interesting, at least in this section of of the show was that, you know, here they are having all this stuff and all this, you know, living basically the life of the rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when they hear that, you know, that their niece needs somewhere to live, that they gave it all up for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which is, you would imagine in most families, that's what they would do. You know, they would, you would hope that most people would give their all for, you know, for their niece or nephew or, you know, whatever the situation would bring. Absolutely. So um, that I did like, and it kind of did show that, you know, she, she's not just living with us, but she really is the part of our family and, and one of the most, and the most important part of our family. Right. That's, that's where you see the, the development of the show and, and the crafting of this, you know, universe as as more than just something designed to you know produce 
comedy jokes that make an eight to thirteen year old laugh or whatever, you know. Yep. There is actually a universe and a structure here, and scenes like that, and and really an episode like this in total really helps to build up not only that family dynamic but just your greater understanding of the characters. Yep, agreed, sir. Yeah, let's go. Let's go to the uh, the credits because. As the credits roll, we see Zelda working on her very 90s laptop in the kitchen as Hilda enters with a gift celebrating Zelda as she's realized how much they've been through. When she opens it, she is overjoyed to discover it's her old abacus. Zelda thanks her sister for returning it. Uh, Apparently, Hilda found it in her sock drawer. But Zelda eventually realizes that it's broken. This inspires an argument, during which... Hilda asks to see the abacus, getting it somehow, and in turn, running off, leaving Zelda to complain like a child. Phil, I think the best part of this scene is uh, how genuinely overjoyed Beth Broderick seems when she gets it. There's a way that she says, like, thanks for returning it, that her voice cracks a little, and it just it, it's just dripping with glee. My abacus! I found it in my sock drawer. Oh, thanks for returning it. Wait... It's broken. I was eight and mad at you. She is very overjoyed. And then, you know, when she finds out that it's broken, basically you can see that interaction of, you know, sibling rivalry. Like, oh, you give it back to me now that it's broken, you know, and and back and forth. Like you would, you would imagine a sibling would, would do if they received something back. And and I like how she, she even goes, you know, goes to the point of pointing out the fact that, um, only, only, only uh, Hilda, only Hilda would give her a gift that was already hers. Yes. <laughs> which, which reminds me of that time. I, I want to say it was my maybe fifth or sixth birthday. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm going to bring up. Uh, and, and I believe you and Chris gave me for my birthday a, um, a VHS tape of episodes of Bananas in Pajamas. A great show from the nineties uh, that I had already recorded, <laughs> or that some I already had. But well, we recorded it, it for you. So what we would do is we would record all the shows for because that was Al's favorite show when he was it was with a toddler. Okay, and, and is possibly our mom's favorite show still now. I know, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but you know, you know, we, we, I mean, we, I was what twelve or thirteen at the time. So I mean, I had no, we had no money. You know, we were. We didn't have podcasting money like we do now. Oh, yes. I'm rolling in <laughs> big stacks of money. Oh, also, by the way, anybody out there, if you're interested in uh, sponsoring us, please tweet us. Help please. Us out. I will sell anything that doesn't hurt people bad. Harry's, if it only... Harry's we're, we're talking to you out there, Harry's. Listen, we know listen. you're out there. I'll give you a five-minute ad. I literally use your product all the time and literally told someone to buy Harry's because they're solid razors. <laughs> um, but in any case, you know. But, so but again, I don't know what the crossover appeal of like a Sabrina's Teenage Witch podcast and, and Harry's razors is. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's all about advertising. Hey, yeah. ladies, you can use Harry's on your legs. <laughs> you can, actually. I'm sure. They're great razors, honestly. Anywhere where hair grows, you can shave it. Anywhere. Um, in any case... Uh, so yes, Al, you are correct. Uh, I, like I said, but we were—I was twelve or thirteen. My sister <laughs> was my sister was you know eight, 
I mean, yeah. we were we were young, you know. The, the best part is, I was like four or five or whatever, and I still put it together. I'm like, I already, I think it was when I was watching it, I was like, I already have all. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> and I, uh, but still, that is a very brotherly, uh, familial thing to do. Yeah. I also thought that Zelda looked phenomenal in that red skirt and silver blouse of hers at the end. Ah, well, fit real well. There you go. But that is the episode, Phil. Um. As you know, on the Witch Trials, each episode, we rate the episode of Sabrina Teenage Witch on a very special scale, the TGIF scale, the This Good I Feel scale, five-point scale. Uh, each rating has a corresponding TGIF show, a one out of five being a You Wish, a two out of five being a Teen Angel, three out of five being a Hanging with Mr. Cooper, four out of five being a Family Matters, and a five out of five on the TGIF scale is a Boy Meets World. Where would you think this episode falls on that scale? Al, I'm going to say this falls as a solid hanging with Mr. Cooper, I think. I think it's, you know, it's not a two and a half, but it's it's well, it's above a two and a half. I'm going to say it's a solid three and hanging with Mr. Cooper. Fair enough. I had, had this had a solid uh, family matters, actually. Wow. I, honestly, I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected to, especially since I don't really have the fondest memories of it originally. Mm-hmm. But... When I watch it, I um, it's got a lot of fun jokes, a lot of fun costumes and situations, and equally important, uh, it does an amazing job of giving you a, a deeper understanding of the Spellman family. The one negative point about it is, like, after the 10-minute mark, there is really no continuing story, and it kind of just becomes a clip show, but with never-before-seen clips. Pretty much. But that doesn't really detract from the episode's fun. Okay. So, four out of five... Uh, Family matters for me. Phil, the absolute main event here Uh-oh. on the Witch Trials, the back of the winning closet award, our episodic award for each installment's biggest fashion flop. Where who gets your uh, who gets your award, your back of the winning closet award? This well, episode, Phil. Um, I think I've spoke about it before. Um, it was kind of I was kind of torn between two outfits. But I think the winner is going to be Sabrina and her skidding of Barney the Purple Dinosaur and putting it on her back. Very fair. Just a weird, like, oddly dark color for Sabrina. Also, and, she doesn't wear one of those. I mean, it, it would have been different if it was just a jacket. But, I mean, yeah. it's literally a whole pantsuit. Of this, it is. It, like, it, it kind of reminds me of that outfit that she's wearing. I want to say it's the Violent Femmes episode again where it's like that mom outfit where it's like all cream. Right. Exactly. It's like cream it, and it's like, like, why would you do that? No. As bad as that was, of course, Hilda is going to chalk up another award for me. We, I, I might go back and count all of them for season one and see who gets the most. Mm, that, 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 that might be fun to do. Um, but uh, yeah, Hilda's obscene white produce dress. It's just, it, it fit her well, but the print is ridiculous. The yellow, the citrus yellow shoes, just awful. No thanks. No thanks. Put that one deep into the linen closet there. <laughs> Way back. Uh, but, Phil, that's the episode. Thanks so much for uh, being on another Sabrina's Witch Trials. Always fun to have you along. It's always a pleasure, uh, Al. And uh, till the next one. Absolutely. The next episode, in fact, is my all-time favorite episode, uh, The Crucible, where a, a lot of fun happens. Uh, you know, get, get your dunking hat on because we're going to drown some witches maybe but until then i want to tell you that you can follow sabrina's witch trials on 
Facebook, facebook.com slash Sabrina's Witch Trials. On Instagram, instagram.com slash Sabrina's Witch Trials. And on Twitter, twitter.com slash Sabrina Podcast. You can also listen to the show where you are, but also iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Google Play Podcast section, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, with that, I'm going to encourage you to give us a five-star review because, you know what, really the best part of my life? No. But but definitely the best part of my podcasting life is, is seeing another five-star review of those, or, or any review, honestly. Just any feedback is always great. Uh, so do that wherever you want to, wherever you can, iTunes especially, because that's just where most people do it. But I will say thank you for listening one last time, and we will see you in the other realm. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Poole. I like your purse. It's a sporin'.